is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. With that first pick in the 1989 NBA draft, the Sacramento Kings select Purvis Ellison from the University of Louisville. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. Today, we're talking about another big draft, the 1989 NBA draft. Keith, are you pumped for this one? Yeah, not 1989. Uh, for, for those of us that grew up in the state of Michigan at that time, uh, probably will go down as the, the biggest year for basketball in the history of the state of Michigan. Uh, we had the Michigan Wolverines winning the NCAA championship in March, and uh, just a few months later, the Detroit Pistons won their first NBA championship. So th- th- there's a lot of history that, that goes on uh, in this year that relates to uh, us Michiganders. Now I want to go back to that video real quick, uh, because I don't know if you heard this, but somebody yells out Stacy King. Let me, let me play it one more time. The Sacramento Kings select Purvis Ellison from the University. <laughs> Did you hear it? <laughs> yeah, Stacey King, actually, one of the – I doubt he goes drafted today, so I'm just going to talk about him real quick. Um, one, one, of the, uh, one of the most highly touted prospects in this whole draft, believe it or not, uh, the, the Bulls spent a lottery pick that they had acquired on him. Uh, much much like uh, Wayman Tisdale, a power forward from Oklahoma that scored a lot of points in in the NBA, it just his skill set didn't translate. So it, yes, it, looking back, it is kind of weird to hear someone yell out Stacy King, who didn't quite pan NBA out fans only know because he was you know the Chicago Bulls tenth man during the during the first Jordan trilogy. Ugh. That's funny, and then uh, you know I know it's a it's an audio media uh, medium, but. Purvis does not look happy about getting drafted by the Kings. So, well, <laughs> if Purvis wouldn't look happy if he won ten million dollars in the lottery. That was just his disposition. Uh, yeah, at some point he will get drafted. Uh, it won't be one, but then I'll get to talk about him a little bit because he's kind of a. I don't want us to call him a tra- tragic figure in in the history of the draft, but he's he's certainly a very polarizing figure. Well, I've got a space for Purvis, and we'll see. Uh... We'll see if he winds up getting there. But uh, before we get into that, there's as we do, there's a little bit of knowledge to be learned about the 1989 draft. Let's start here. This was, according to a couple articles that we read, the first big primetime event draft uh, in NBA history. Yeah, and you wonder uh, really why it took the NBA so long to implement this. Especially for the NBA, the draft lends itself so well to – to being a television event, it's compact, uh, it's structured, everybody knows the names. And it wasn't until 1989 until the NBA decided to make the draft its own thing, its own big PR stunt on, on live TV. And so they they made another format change. They they scrapped the third round. 
after cutting it from seven rounds to three, they cut it down from three to two, which is our current format. And as you know, they, they added uh, two more expansion teams after we added the, the Hornets and the Heat uh, in our previous draft. We're adding now the Orlando Magic and the Minnesota Timberwolves. So in just two years, the NBA goes from 23 to 27 teams, and the lottery goes from 7 to 11. So this is the very first draft where we're going to have teams that didn't make the playoffs still draft outside the top 10. So the the NBA is starting finally starting to get some depth to it. So then also, you know, there we we were looking at something here and and you know, there there's this there's this idea that the first top 10, you know, here is 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 outside of two players. Uh, there's a lot of uh so-called and I I'm using the quotation marks draft busts. Um, you and I looked over these guys and, and I, I don't see it the same way. And I know that you don't, um, you know, did they all, did everybody become all-stars and champions? No, but there's quite a few players here that, that put forth some, uh, some good NBA careers, played some meaningful games. Yeah. I think we kind of have to think about when we, when we use the term bust, what, what exactly does that mean? Does that mean this player doesn't carve out a, a respectable career for themselves in the league? Or does that mean they weren't worth where they were selected? And yeah, the interesting thing about this top 10 is not a single player in this top 10 had an established career with the team that drafted them. I, there, there were players here that had good careers. Don't get me wrong uh, with the teams that drafted them, but the majority of the success that any of these players had came with, came after leaving their current team. So I can see, I can kind of see how this draft gets that reputation because a lot of teams that drafted these players that high gave up on them. And many of them resurrected their careers elsewhere. And look, there's no big name superstar in this, in, in, in the top 10 of this draft. There isn't, there are, there are superstars in this draft, but none of them uh, drafted that, that high. But um, no, I, I think if you look, if you look at it a little closer, that there is some quality here. And I would say at least eight of these top 10 players had pretty good careers in the NBA. They just maybe didn't have careers that made you say, hey, this guy was a top 10 pick. No, uh, but, you know, we're going to change that here today. So without further ado, let's get into the 1989 NBA draft. Keith, it is your week to be the uh, the top GM in the draft and have the number one pick. And I have been waiting to see what you're going to do with this one. The Sacramento Kings are on the clock. Let's see what he does. So... In, with this first pick, I am the Sacramento Kings, and I am drafting on behalf of uh, none other than uh, Bill Russell, who is having his uh, involvement in the NBA uh, very slowly whittled away by the the horribleness of the Sacramento Kings franchise. Uh, he's no longer the coach. He's moved into the front office. And this is the pick that essentially ended his front office career. So I am going to try to fix that. Uh, originally, he selects a big man. As we've already heard, it's it's Purvis Ellison. Uh, that did not that backfire tremendously. But I don't hate his logic. I will still take a big man. It just won't be that big, that specific big man. With the number one pick, the Sacramento Kings select Sean Kemp. Wow. And yeah, Sean Kemp, I have two Hall of Famers on, on my board, two future Hall of Famers. Sean Kemp is not one of them. However, 
that does not uh, take away from the fact that we are drafting in 1989 and it is still very much a big man's league. Even with Michael, even with Magic, even with Larry, uh, the majority of the best players in this league are, are the big men. The majority of the players that affect winning and losing are the big men. And Sean Kemp, I know he's going to take some years to develop. Uh, he was originally supposed to go to Kentucky in 1988, was academically ineligible, wound up going to, to a community college in Indiana, didn't play there. So he essentially had to sit out a year from basketball. Uh, the Sonics take him late in the first round. I know uh, the Pistons, Jack McCloskey desperately wanted Sean Kemp. He was in love with Sean Kemp's talent. Could not, he did not have the disposable assets outside his championship roster, which he wasn't going to break up to go and get him. But it's not like Sean Kemp came out of nowhere. He highly touted a uh, high school prospect. People were kind of iffy on him because he set out the year. I mean, that sounds familiar. We had that this year. And it took Sean, he, Sean Kemp was not very good right away. Uh, it, it took him a, a few years to develop until his early twenties. So until you still, until you started to see uh, that potential. But in the end, and I think Sean Kemp will eventually get into the Hall of Fame. I think he was overshadowed a little bit by some of the guys that put up the big offensive numbers, like Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, et cetera. But if I look at this Kings roster, it's still very much an expansion roster. They're, they're going nowhere. Uh, Bill Russell wasn't wrong. They badly needed a big man. And look, I think you, if you put Sean Kemp on this team and maybe pair him because you know they're going to try to trade for Mitch Richmond in a couple of years. Can, can you think of that, how dangerous this Kings team would be with Sean Kemp and Mitch Richmond in their prime? I mean, maybe not a championship team, but yeah, all of a sudden, you know, the the tragic story of the Sacramento Kings in the 90s with Richmond being stuck on medi mediocrity, all of a sudden that story changes tr uh, significantly, right? So yeah. I'm actually feeling a lot of people might look at Look at me as I'm banishing Sean Kemp to Sacramento, but no, I, I think we might. I think he might do for Sacramento what Chris Webber eventually does for them uh, in 1999. Uh, I, I think they could uh, quietly become a contender if they start putting pieces around Kemp and uh, eventually Richmond. That team would have made a, a deep Western Conference run. I, I have no doubts about it, especially in that mid, you know, that mid 90s. Like you said, when Mitch Richmond got there. Oh, man, what a team that could have been. Imagine if that team plus a healthy Bobby Hurley, uh, you know, who knows? Who yeah. knows? Uh, all right. So I am I am I am not going to do what everyone thinks I'm going to do with this second pick. I uh, I so here let me let me let me first preface everything. So I, I have uh, many times before on this podcast during NBA redrafts said that the Clippers had a garbage roster. And, and I was right most of the time about that. <clears throat> but now I look at this team and I go, well, you know, you got Ron Harper, pretty decent player. You got Danny Manning, who is, uh, who we took with the number one pick last year. And they, they uh, don't have Ron Harper yet. Oh, okay. Ron Harper will eventually show up. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Ron Harper will eventually show up in my world. He's already there. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I believe they actually I, I believe they actually trade the player they get with his pick for Ron Harper. Oh, is that true? Okay. Uh well still I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. Okay. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh and then the, you know, there's Ken Norman who uh took a couple couple drafts ago. He you know, he's a decent player. He's uh you know, 
15, 16, 17, 18 points a game. Uh, Charles Smith is on this team. Uh, Reggie Williams is a decent, uh, decent player. He's here. So, you know, all this team needs is a, is a guy to run this offense. And, and I can't think of any other player better than Tim Hardaway to come in and do that. So with mm. the second pick, I'm taking Tim Hardaway. Uh, and I think that right away, he's going to bring some of that run TMC type play to Los Angeles. And people are going to start looking at this, this other LA team as maybe they're the new showtime. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, he's going to be a great facilitator here. And, and I think, um, again, in my dream world, Ron Harper shows up still, and, <laughs> and and you got a nice Ron Harper, Tim Hardaway backcourt, Ken Norton and Danny Manning in the in the uh, uh, in the forward positions, and then you know I guess you're going to roll with Benoit Benjamin at center, but which is you know you could do better, but that's still you know that's a decent looking squad right there. I think that's a playoff team. Yeah, Tim Hardaway. By the way, congratulations. Uh, he's finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Jeez, took too uh, long. One one of yep one of two players that I've been campaigning for 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 years uh, alongside Bobby Dandridge who got in uh, just a year ago. I, I thought those two guys deserved to be in the Hall of Fame a, a while ago, but and he got in last year. I'm glad Tim Hardaway got in this year, and yeah, uh, believe it or not, Tim Hardaway was number two on my board as well. Uh, people remember him on Miami, those slow plotting Miami teams even though he was an all NBA player on those teams as well. Uh, people forget he was, I mean, he was very close to how we remember Derrick Rose. Uh, ju- just a, a ball of electricity. He was short, uh, but he was explosive. Didn't really play above the rim, but he was quick as hell. He was big, great body control. Uh, for, for decades, he was the last point guard ever to average 20 points, 10 assists per game. Uh, I, yeah, I can't say enough about Tim Hardaway and I, I, I'm actually right there with you. I also would have picked him number two, no matter who was picking to, because he was just that good uh, straight out of college. And he was that uh, explosive. I, I think he would turn almost any team into a, into a winner. Absolutely. And uh former member of the Pistons coaching uh, staff as well. Gotta love the guy. Yep. Uh, all right. So, and this makes my pick very easy. Uh, yeah. With the third pick in the draft, the San Antonio Spurs, and they have just been a a crap team as long as we've been doing these redrafts, that's about to change because finally, after two years after drafting him, they're about to finally bring David Robinson over, uh, their number one pick from 1987. He's, he's about to enter his rookie season in San Antonio. And so what do we need? We need an outside threat. And who better uh, to pair him with than one Glenn Rice out of the University of Michigan. And that, look, originally they drafted a, a, a shooting uh, swing man, but it wasn't Rice. It was Sean Elliott out of Arizona. Because I, I think Elliott's stock, NBA draft stock, even with Michigan winning the title, I, I think people had doubts about Rice's uh, athletic ability, uh, his handles, uh, it, which is weird. I, High, high, but the greatest scoring uh, NCAA tournament performance to this day. Uh, he he just annihilated everybody during that tournament run. But I guess a lot of people didn't think it would translate to the NBA, and they were all wrong because Glenn Rice was one of the danger most dangerous covers in the league for the entire decade of the '90s. 
I mean, he he played on some mediocre Miami Heat teams those expansion years. Still made the playoffs uh, towards the end of that run. Goes to Charlotte. They win 54, 55 games uh, regularly, but the East is so strong, they can't even get home court in the first round. And he eventually goes to L.A. and wins a title uh, towards the, the end of his career. But, man, if you put if you put him with David Robinson, you know, one, one of the best inside players of all time, and then you have Rice, one of the league's premier three-point shooters, uh, to date, hell, I, I'm not so sure that Spurs team isn't winning a championship before getting Tim Duncan. Wow, what a, I mean, th- those two together—that's a really good, really good collection of players right there. Yep. It Glenn Rice, you know, it seemed like he was a guy who got better as he got a little older. You know, those years in Charlotte, there was in like '97, '98. He, uh, you know, his three-point shooting just seemed to like get even better than it had ever been, and he, you know, that was the year I think he, I think he was in the three-point competition in one of those years, and uh, you know, I know he went to the All-Star uh, game around that time too. He was just, he was just a great, great, great player. And I used to uh, on NBA courtside with Kobe Bryant for the N64. <laughs> I would make sure that he would always get traded to the Pistons. Everyone loves to bring up that that 64 game. The, oh, the I love that game. I, I've had so many people bring that up on Twitter, and I'm like, eh, I never played it. The, the court said that that I played was the the GameCube version. I, okay. I really loved, but I really loved it though. It was, I think, the 2001 or 2002. No, I think it was 2002 was when they brought courtside to the GameCube, and it, it was it was a really good port actually. But yeah, now I'm kind of starting to wish that I had played that try at least tried that game for the 64 because I just. That was never like this big sports system, right? It was always like PlayStation was the, the game you got the sports games for. But for whatever reason, uh, Courtside uh, for 64 has like a cult following now. And I'm, I'm really interested in it. You know, it was kind of like, and I don't know if everybody will agree with me, but it was kind of like the early iteration of what 2K wound up being. It was it was just a lot. It, the animation just seemed a lot better than NBA Live and some of the other video games that you could get for uh, for 64 and, and it just and there was so much custom custom customability that's probably not a word uh it was and and it just looked good it looked you know i mean 64 graphics as good as they can look you know that's it that's what it was like so yeah absolutely love that game big fan um okay uh miami heater on the on the uh, clock and and you know what you've, you've made my pick pretty easy here too uh i think the draft is going to start at the next pick um, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, roll with Sean Elliott with this pick here. It just makes a lot of sense. You didn't get Glenn Rice, but you can get Sean Elliott. Uh, it's the next best thing at small forward. And I think that, you know, him and Ronnie Cycli and, and, uh, and Rory Sparrow and, you know, some of the, some of these guys on this heat team, they're not going to be good for a while. Uh, but at least Sean Elliott is uh, somebody who can, who can eventually get good. And uh, one day he'll be Keith's favorite Detroit Piston. <laughs> and uh, yeah. sarcasm. Sarcasm. He's being sarcastic for people listening. Yeah. Not, not Keith's favorite Piston. Although he does often talk about that year and a half or even shorter than that with, with a lot of uh, uh, gleam in his eye. So, <laughs> all right. So you are up Keith with the, uh, um, the Charlotte Hornets. 
The number five pick, the, the Charlotte Hornets are about to shock everybody. They are about to select from Yugoslavia, Vladivostok. And that's exactly how I had it on my board. Yep. Uh, the Hornets, again, just one year removed from expansion and their original expansion pick, uh, Rick's Chapman. Uh, not exactly. I wouldn't say he's not working out, but maybe not as well as they had hoped. So there's, they're still very much looking for a foundational player. I can't think of many, uh, actually, I can't see anyone on this board better suited for leading an expansion team than, than Vlade. Uh, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle when we talk about the 90s centers because there were so many, you know, great ones. Uh, but Vladi in his own way, uh, he was one of the original, you know, centers that could pass like a point guard. He could handle the ball. Uh, what wasn't this overpowering athlete like guys like Shaq or David Robinson or even Patrick Ewing? But I mean, he was big. He was he was seven one. Uh, could score in the post. Could shoot a little bit occasionally. Very rarely he'd step outside the three point line, but he could do it. And but but the most important thing is he he made his teammates better. Anywhere Vladi Divac had ever has ever been in his career, he was that team was better for having him. And I will say the same thing for the Hornets. I don't think he's going to make them a playoff team, which is good because they need they need those lottery picks in those next upcoming years. Uh, but I, I think he's far better for their future than anyone else that uh, I could give them at this juncture. And also. Uh, I, I am going to put Vlade on the Hornets uh, seven years before he actually goes there because he his path to the Hornets originally was in the Kobe Bryant trade. So right. I am going to undercut that. I am going to see if Kobe Bryant still finds his way onto the Lakers when they don't have Vlade to offer the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Uh, I, But you you got to it before I could. It, did, did we just cancel out the Kobe Bryant trade? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, yep. This is, this is, this is one, uh, one butterfly effect. I, I would very much like to see. Yeah. Could, could the Lakers without Vlade have gotten a high enough uh, draft pick? to get Kobe Bryant. Keith and I went back in time and we stepped on a butterfly and look what we've done. Kobe Bryant plays for the Washington Wizards now. Uh, all right. So I'm up with the Chicago Bulls. And man, I I hate that we keep making the Chicago Bulls better somehow, but it just keeps happening. It's Jerry, so Krause, Jerry Krause keeps getting these high draft picks. Yeah, it's, it's so Michael weird. Jordan. It's so weird, but uh, so originally this team would take um, uh, B.J. Armstrong or, or Stacey King actually at this point, yeah. but but they would get B.J. Armstrong a little later in the draft, and you know that that you know this team needs a point guard. They need a starting point guard. Well, man, I got one for them, and I'm so upset. I'm so upset as a Pistons fan that I got to send Mookie Blaylock to the Chicago Bulls. God, that's such a great fit. It's so good. It's such yeah, a good yeah. fit. It you know it, yeah it it sucks. He, you know Mookie is one of the uh, the best players in this draft. Quietly, I think you know this guy is a great great defender, former All Star, uh, you know multiple time uh, All Defense guy. It's led the league in steals twice. Like a really great player. And those years when he was with the Hawks, absolutely hated when the Hawks would come in town. They'd have 
Mookie and Dikembe Matumbo on their team. It just was almost unfair. It, it was unfair. Uh, but now you got Mookie and Michael Jordan in the backcourt with Scottie Pippen. And man, I don't know. I don't know. That, that, that Pistons team is in danger of, of if, if they're not going to repeat. I don't know. I don't know if the Bulls can get past, or the Pistons get that can get past this Bulls well, team. Oh, well, I, I think the, the saving grace here is when we, when we talked at the, at the beginning of this podcast about uh, players that maybe were seen as bus, but they wound up reinventing themselves on another franchise after the team that drafted them gave up on them. That's Mookie Blaylock to a T. Yeah, uh, originally or, or, yeah, originally drafted by the Nets, he starts for them. Uh, he plays a lot of minutes, but they kind of fell out of love with him, especially after they land the number two pick uh, a couple of years from now. Get Kenny Anderson, uh, which who had was being touted as maybe another su- the next superstar, and Mookie kind of uh, falls out of favor, goes to Atlanta, and quietly carves out. Uh, really one of the most unsung careers of any guard in the nineties. If anyone listening uh, has heard our Lindsay Hunter episode, uh, I I talk about that in detail, how it's, it's almost criminal that Lindsay Hunter, despite being one of the greatest ball Hawks I've ever seen, never makes an all defensive team. Uh, Mookie Blaylock is the reason why he doesn't make an all defensive team. Mookie Blaylock makes six all defensive teams in a row in it. In Atlanta, and uh, uh, he earns every single one of them, as well as being may, maybe not a, a lethal scorer, but certainly a productive enough one, uh, a streak shooter. I mean, he could shoot you in or shoot you out of games, but his defense was always there. It was always constant. And, man, I, I again, I, I'm glad it takes him a few years to develop because I don't think he's good enough as a rookie to impact that, that next conference finals meeting with the Pistons, but – Good Lord. I mean, if you if you put him on the Bulls and the Bulls don't give up on him like the Nets did, I mean, that is that is almost criminal to put him. I mean, maybe he just replaces Ron Harper in the long term and he's like a rich man's version of what Ron Harper brought to the table. Yeah. But that is still so damn good. Like, would they win 75 games instead of 72 with with Mookie instead of Ron? Like, would they have four all stars? I that, that's man i yeah i'm with you like this is an embarrassment of riches for the bulls but you know, it's the right de- objectively it is the right decision I, I i can't say you made a bad one i just wish that it was the pistons who <laughs> kept getting all these good players but so so the indiana pacers are up next and the pacers much like the spurs are about to turn it around a little bit uh, after being at the bottom of the league for all of our redrafts so far and if you look at the roster, they've got Chuck Person in the fold. They've got Reggie Miller. Uh, they've got Rick Smith, who's starting to come along. He's starting to develop. And really what they need is, well, they, they still need a lot of things. They, 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 they need a point guard, and they need a guy that can play the four. And I don't really see a franchise point guard here, even though there are some nice prospects uh on the board, but I do see someone that would fit beautifully with this team. That would be Cliff Robinson out of UConn. Uh, Cliff Robinson, uh, there were a lot of concerns about his motivation, his engine, his effort level, never his talent. Uh, 6'10", 
could handle the ball a little bit. Uh, I like to compare him, uh, Piston fans, to really like the best version of Jeremy Grant. Like if I had to compare him to any player that plays today, it would be Jeremy Grant. That that versatility, that that big long arm, uh, two way defensive wing with three point range, uh, terrible rebounder, but that was really the only hole in, in his game. And uh, he began his career in Portland in the NBA Finals against the Pistons and bookended that, really ending his career in Detroit, helping them get back to their uh, their prominence as contenders. And I mean, I mean, he he joins the Pistons in his mid thirties and makes him this, and he's still on the all defensive team. That's how good he was. And I, I'm looking at the how the Pacers, uh, play out in the nineties. I think Cliff Robinson fits in so well there, uh, almost like Derek McKee. And they have Detlef Shrimp at this point, so maybe they don't feel the need to trade him for Derek McKee for that that two way defensive forward. Maybe they can just keep Shrimp, keep. Cliff Robinson is a starter, and man, you're cook. You're really cooking at that point. Like that, that could be even with no like top five NBA superstar. That that team is so deep, they might win a championship. All right. Well, <clears throat> that that is an interesting one. I I, I really like that. Uh, you know, everybody loves Uncle Cliff, and it was you know certainly sad to see him uh, mm-hmm. pass recently. And and uh, yeah, absolutely hated to see that. So I am I am up next, and I am in kind of a uh, not a great position. The Mavericks are like an interesting team, you know. You've got Rolando Blackman, Derek Harper, Sam Perkins, uh, Adrian Dantley is going to get traded here soon. You got Herb Williams, and well, Dantley's about to retire. Yeah, Yeah. I think Dantley's about to. I think I'm pretty sure he he suffers a career-ending injury. I think this season. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you got Roy Tarpley, who Roy's looked good, but Roy is in like two years going to be out of the league uh, due to substance abuse issues, which um, I don't know if, I think that's cocaine related probably. I I, I think so. Yeah, I think I so. I mean, my, my, yeah, he, he yeah. He, uh, Roy Tarpley's career is one of those tragic stories of the mid eighties high lottery pick just couldn't stay away from substance abuse. He he's out. The NBA lets him in. He's out. The NBA lets him in. He's out again. And yeah, I think he's on his way out for I think the third time at this point. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 I just kind of looking at who who's left here and it's just like, you know, I, I could pick a point guard, but Derek Harper is going to be here for a little bit longer. Um, you know, there's some other things I could do, but I, I think the best thing I could do and and this guy's only going to play in the NBA for four years, but it's going to be a pretty impactful four years. I'm going to go to Yugoslavia and I'm going to get Dino Raja to uh, to come play for the Mavericks, and he's going to be that early uh, Dirk Nowitzki esque type Euro player for for the Mavericks that that maybe will eventually uh, inspire the Mavericks to take this Dirk Nowitzki guy with the Dolph Lundgren haircut. Uh, somewhere down the line uh, I think Dino you know great player obviously you know he's he's older when he gets here you know yeah. he's he's already uh 26 years old when he plays his first game for the Celtics so you know you're not getting a, a very long-term project here um in a couple of years you're gonna have to just draft somebody new for that spot but I think that uh Raja can can still help for a while maybe he stays longer I don't know 
Dino Raja to the Mavericks. I wanted Cliff Robinson here, but unfortunately you took him for the Pacers. Yeah, the Mavs are are just beginning their descent into NBA hell uh, in 1990. They During the 90s, they have one of the worst decades that NBA, any NBA team has ever had in NBA, in any decade. Uh, it is really that bad. Uh, the the just the stunning uh, awfulness of the Mavericks, despite drafting, you know, a lot of good players. Uh, it's just a horribly run franchise. And I, Dino, um, actually pretty productive NBA player. He's in the Hall of Fame, certainly not for what he did in the league. He's only in the league for four years, uh, but he was a you know consistent double digit scoring performer. He, I just don't think he enjoyed. America. I don't think he enjoyed playing in the NBA. I don't think it really fit the way he let, he enjoyed playing. And he he played for a mediocre Boston team, which didn't help. But that's really the '96 Bulls compared to this Mavericks team he's about to go to. So I don't know if he'll stay there uh, any longer than he did in Boston. But I'll I'll say this: I think it is it's a good uh, point that you make that to establish this European pipeline uh, early for Dallas, and certainly. Uh, Dino is not going to affect Dallas having high lottery picks, you know, in, well into the late nineties to, no, still gonna be to, there. <laughs> to put themselves in a position to take Dirk. So I, I think that I, in a roundabout way, I, I, I don't dislike this pick. Um, the Washington bullets are next and man, and they are just eternally mediocre. They're never terrible enough uh, to bottom out, but they're never really good enough to, to put together a, a competent playoff team. And whew, look, looking at them now, I mean, what do they need? They need a lot of stuff. And I am going to just take the most talented player on the board. I'm going to go with uh, Nick Anderson out of Illinois. Uh, Nick Anderson, I don't want to say he's underrated because he was pretty well known in the 90s playing with Shaquille O'Neal on those uh, – mid nineties Orlando magic teams. Everyone famously knows him for missing those two free throws in the finals against the the Rockets. And that, that's kind of what people think when you bring up the name Nick Anderson. And I think that's kind of sad because he was so much more than that. He was a very, very good defender, good post-up player, very good three point shooter for whatever reason, just not a good foul shooter, which is, you know, fine. That's not, ideal for a two guard but he did so many other things well and he was a he was averaging close to 20 points a game uh for several years before Shaq and Penny got together and started to dominate the offense I mean he, he had he had a 50 point game coming off the bench once I mean this guy's an explosive scorer and he's a guy that was a plus defender so and to, honestly for, for the draft what we keep talking about the lack of um stars in this draft the lack of uh uh depth but I, I think getting a guy with the quality of Nicky Anderson at number nine is actually a pretty good deal yeah I I would say so I mean that's a yeah that's a pretty good pick and you know I hate that he missed those two free throws and a lot of people think and, and I guess with good with good reason that maybe that kind of that messed up his career a little bit and ruined his confidence he was never really the same player yeah. after that season and it's it sucks to see that kind of thing go because he was a guy that I think should have been an all star uh, at some point, you know. And just it just didn't work out. Uh, but all right, next up is the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I will be selecting 
for uh for their first ever college draft pick and they originally selected Pooh Richardson and I'm going to stick you know I I I thought about BJ Armstrong here for a second but Pooh Pooh is actually a pretty decent player uh you know th- there was some injury stuff there near the end of his career uh but but early on you know in in his early years with Minnesota right away he did make a difference i mean in his second year in the league, he's he's averaging 17 points uh, and nine assists a game. That's that's pretty good. Uh, and I think that Minnesota, you know, needs this point guard. They need somebody to help them, uh, you know, lead this offense, which is not good. Not good at all. Uh, I don't, you know, for some reason they didn't hang on to uh, Rick Mahorn, which is just the dumbest thing in the world. Um, and, and it's stupid that the Pistons couldn't get him back, but yeah, uh, but it is what it is. So yeah, Pooh Richardson, you know, is the original draft pick, and he's going to be the draft pick here again today. I think it's probably the best way to go. Yeah, I mean, look, there's at this point we we we've got a lot of uh, it's really I'll, I'll just put it nicely, it's a lot of role players. Yeah, uh, I mean, some high end role players, I think, but role players nonetheless. So, and if if you're the Timberwolves and you're in, entering your very first year uh, in existence in the NBA, uh. Yeah, like you said, um, Pooh Richardson was probably looked at as one of the success stories in this draft class. His first couple of years, those were his, some of his best years. Um, uh, one of those, and there's a lot of guys in this class that were kind of cursed, uh, quote unquote, cursed to play on mediocre to bad teams. They never really had a chance for uh, major team success. And Richardson was kind of like that, goes from the Timberwolves to the Pacers. Uh, actually starts on a, a pretty good Pacers team in 93 that sneaks into the playoffs, gives the Knicks a, a good run in the first round. And Larry Brown takes over. Uh, Pacers improved tremendously in 94, but Larry Brown just not a fan at all of Pooh Richardson, did not like him, uh, buried him on the bench after starting him early in the season. So he was really not a part of that that conference finals run that they made uh, in 1994. And then, you know, he he moves on to the I think the Clippers and his career kind of finishes there but yeah as, as far as just a a, a a guy that could run your offense uh I, I think there was potential for him to be I would say a role player in a pretty good team he just yeah. never found a good fit um so with uh, the number 11 pick I'm the Orlando Magic and also entering my first year of existence in the NBA and if I'm looking at this uh, objectively, really, I'm again, we're all, it's all role players. So what I'm looking at is how is this player going to fit two, three, four, five years down the road when I have Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway and hopefully Horace Grant and in that loaded Orlando Magic roster. I don't have Nick Anderson uh, to draft anymore, and he was a tremendous fit. So. It, I don't really see another great fit here as a starting two guard. I don't see any starters here at all on that 95 magic team that I can really pick. So I am going to, I'm going to think outside the box a little bit. I am going to draft Dana Barrows. Little, little five eleven shooting guard, Dana Barrows uh, for out of Boston college. And man, I I just did a video on him uh, today uh, showcasing the 50 points he scored on on the, on the Houston Rockets. They lost that game by a million points, but it was still like, 
just a great shooting performance. And Dana Barrows, I think it's a testament to his skills. And in 1989, and we just talked about how big men were dominating the league uh, at this point. And Dana Barrows is 5'11", not really even a point guard. Uh, he plays point guard because he has to get his height. But he, he his all of his skills had to do with, with shooting and creating shots for himself. And he still gets picked 16th in this draft, which kind of blows my mind. Because three-point shooting was not on a whole lot of teams' uh, wish list at this point. But he gets drafted, and, you know, he he bounces around some pretty good Sonic teams, goes to Philadelphia, uh, becomes a starter, makes the all-star team, believe it or not, at 5'11", uh, just just eating up all the uh, all the shot opportunities he can get on those bad Sixer teams. And then goes to Boston, where I think he could have had a really great finish to his career, but he, he had some uh, ankle injuries. But anyway, if I'm looking at his fit down the road, uh, putting Dana Barrels, uh, really any pr uh, premier three-point shooter on a team with Shaq and Penny Hardaway, I'm all for it. And and to think about it, Penny Hardaway, six foot seven. I mean, you could cross-match them all the time. I mean, that I think he's a great fit uh, with that Magic team. You, you could have Penny Hardaway guarding the two. You could have Dana Barrels guarding the one. I, I I don't know if he's a starter for them, uh, but he could be, and even so, I think he'd be a tremendous third guard. I would, I would love to put them both out there, him and Penny, and yes. ha have them both, you know, take turns running the offense. They could both, they could both do it. It'd be really dynamic, and it would be, you never know what you would really get out of that. Um, I tricked myself, my brain, into thinking that Dana was already gone when I took Pooh Richardson. <laughs> I think if I could go back, I would take Dana instead of Pooh, which, you know, it's it's it's, it's still fine. Pooh winds up being okay, but like Dana, I think, is a much better, much better player. And it's, it, you know, I don't know. Well, Dana, the thing is, Dana's still not a point guard. He plays point guard uh, for a couple of, but he was, he's a guy that wants to shoot the ball for second and third. And right. if it's taken away from him, he wants to drive the ball, take some finger rolls. Uh, I mean, he, he he does at one point average, I think, five or six assists. But just that's just because every play went through him in, in Philadelphia. So it, he, he was just like one of those tweener guys where I, I don't know if you put Dana on an expansion team. I, I don't know how good he looks just because if you're asking him to play point guard now, he's playing out of his position, in my opinion. So I, I don't I still I still don't know. I, I still don't hate the Pooh Richardson pick. Well, uh, so what I've got to do next is pick for the New Jersey Nets, yep. Nets, not next, the New Jersey Nets. Although if I saw them on TV back in these days, I would have said next yeah. because, <laughs> because they're, this still, is, they're still terrible. This but... is a really bad basketball yeah. team, man. This is, I, man. And we, we go ahead. No, I was to say we, we, every single redraft we do, uh, to this point, we talk about, well, at least the Nets have Buck Williams. At least the Nets have Buck Williams. Well, He's gone. the reason they have this pick is because they traded Buck Williams oh, to, to Portland. So now they don't even have him. I, I feel um, I feel compelled to, to at least go down the list here and name a few of the players that were on this team. There was uh, Rick Carlisle, uh, Joe Barry Carroll, who is, you know, at the it's almost over for old Joe Barry, uh, Chris Dudley, uh, Roy Henson, Dennis Hobson, 
Jaron Jackson Sr., Anthony Mason, although he's not really Anthony Mason yet, uh, Chris Morris, Charles Shacklesbird, Purvis Short. It's just, it's just really, it's just not good. And I almost feel bad for for anybody I'm for who I'm just about to send there, right? you know, because uh, it's just not going to work out. But nevertheless, this team they they need they need to draft somebody, and I think the best player on the board right now is you could make an argument that it's B.J. Armstrong, but I think it's not. I think the best player on the board, and I'm going to hope that he can stay healthy. I think it's Sherman Douglas. Oh, and and that's who I'm going to go with, Sherman Douglas. Okay. Had a had a pretty decent career. Uh, right off the bat, he was actually really good. Second year in the league, eighteen points a game and eight point uh, five assists. Like he was a great player. Then he started getting hurt. Uh, then he went to Boston, and he had some some uh, three years there where he was actually pretty good, uh, decent. You know, looked good. And then he, uh, you know, goes to Milwaukee and he has kind of his his last good year there, and then ends his career with with the team that is uh, drafting him here today, the New Jersey Nets. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's not great near the end, but he does find it playing until 2001. So there's that longevity thing there that I like as well. But, uh, yeah, I think Sherman Douglas, I hope he stays healthy, and him and D.C. next year are going to be uh, good. But, you know, I don't know. When Kenny Anderson shows up, uh, maybe maybe Sherman's hitting the bench. But, uh, but yeah, Sherman Douglas – to the New Jersey Nets or the Brooklyn Nets or whatever you want to call them. Yep. Good, good old uh, General Sherman as uh, a lot of NBA fans like to term him in the early to mid nineties. Uh, not, not the quickest, not the fastest, not the biggest uh, point guard around, but the guy could, the guy could run the show for you. He he could direct an offense. That was really his, his signature skill as well as he was, he, he was actually known as a pretty good clutch shooter. Uh, despite playing on a lot of mediocrity. Uh, I remember him most playing on those mid-90s Celtics teams as, as their lead guard. Uh, he he takes, in, in the very final year of the Boston Garden, he takes a really really bad collection of Celtics players. to They, they sneak into the playoffs as an eight seed. Sherman Douglas hits some big clutch shots. They actually take a game from those that 95 Magic team. But yeah, that's... This is another guy where I, I think, yeah, he was a role player, but I, I think if you put him, if he just had just had the right fit, I, I think he could have played uh, a, a third guard role, like a veteran backup point guard role on a very good team. I, I like, I love his intangibles. All right, so the Boston Celtics are up uh, with the thirteenth pick. Uh, they're drafting early this year because Larry Bird missed most of last season and they were relegated to being an eight seed. And I'm looking at the Celtics team still pretty good. I know, I know Larry Bird's coming back. I still got Parrish. I still got McHale. I've got a rapidly developing uh, stud wing in, in Reggie Lewis. I, I just don't have any like guards I can rely on. And I think this is where BJ Armstrong finally comes comes off the board and right. I hate I, I really hate to do this because I think there's a, clearly a better player available or a more productive player available but when you're looking to win a championship as the Celtics still are you you have to consider fit at this point and BJ Armstrong especially with uh, Dennis Johnson the great Celtic point guard he's about to enter his final season he's about to retire uh, I I know what I'm getting in Armstrong 
uh, ready-made score out of Iowa by way of, uh, you know, he's a Detroiter, uh, Brother Rice uh, grad. And uh, he's he's a point guard, but he's really a scoring point guard. Doesn't get along with the Bulls for, for a while, despite them winning championships, because he it took him a while to deal with not getting a steady guide of shots playing next to Michael Jordan. Really, I don't see that problem in Boston. I mean, he's got that backcourt all to himself. Uh, still a decent ball handler. I, I, I think he's going to be able to space. If you look at their front court, uh, Hall of Fame front court still, there's going to be a lot of double teaming in the post. He's going to get all the three-point opportunities he can he can eat. So I, I, I think B.J. Armstrong is a great fit for the Boston Celtics at 13. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. That's uh, really interesting. And uh, you know, he's a guy who eventually becomes an all-star at least once. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he's, you know, he's a good team leader in those Charlotte Hornets teams in the late nineties. He was, you know, he was, he was a big leader on that team. So good, good, good guy to have in the locker room as well. And uh, arguably the guy who brought Michael Jordan back to the league. <laughs> uh, all right. So the golden state warriors are on the board with, it's our final lottery pick today. And uh, just looking at the team, so I've stolen Tim Hardaway from them, and basically all the point guards are gone at this point. Any point guard really worth worth his salt is is gone at this point. And uh, so, uh, so I guess you're going for your role player at this point. And I I know we talked about Purvis Ellison going in this draft, but he's not going. He's not going today. I'm sorry, Purvis. I know you were the, originally the number one pick. You're not going to make it in this in this year's draft. Because uh, with the 14th pick, the Golden State Warriors are taking J.R. Reed, power forward, the uh, guy who was originally the third pick in this draft, um, or the, excuse me, the fifth pick in this draft. Uh, so here's the thing, you know, I, I'm I'm drafting J.R. in the hopes that he he is the guy that that he was in the, his first few years in his career in Charlotte, not the guy who goes to Sacramento or New York or. Uh, you know, Charlotte or Milwaukee or Cleveland or, or all the, you know, the, or the Lakers, the guy was all over the place. Uh, I'm going to hope that, that we can get the, the early Jr. Reed who, you know, is rookie year. He, he scores 11 points a game, gets 8.4 rebounds. That's a pretty decent player that, uh, you know, and he doesn't need to be the star here, you know, because we've got Chris Mullen, we've got Sarunas, Marshallonis still, um, and we've got Mitch Richmond. So, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a guy that you can come in, in and get rebounds who can kind of, you know, bang around the boards and stuff like that. And I think J.R. Reed is, is a guy who can start, you could start him immediately and, uh, and see what he can become, you know, and maybe, uh, maybe this Warriors group, I say it all the time, maybe they'll stick together. I don't know, but uh, J.R. Reed to the Warriors. Yeah. J.R. Reed, uh, very, very much known as what is an enforcer type kind of like a little bit P.J. Brown before P.J. Brown, though I don't think J.R. Reed was quite as good. Problem problem is, is that J.R. Reed, the re, kind of the reason he bounced around so much is because he was known as a bit of a hothead. Like, yeah, he was out there to be physical, be be that physical power forward enforcer type, but he couldn't really control his own temper. So he kind of got himself in trouble a lot as much as he helped his own team. He kind of hurt his own team. He was kind of, I think he was seen as unreliable in that respect. But, hey, with this Warriors team, it's a different type of team than any type of team that he really played on. Uh, he played on a lot of slow half-court teams, 
now he's out there with Mitch Richmond and uh, Chris Mullen, and they're they're going to really try to push the tempo. So, I I it, it will I'll be interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, should 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 be fun. Um, I don't know. Uh, so the Pistons are in this draft. They have the twenty seventh pick, and they select Kenny Battle. Um, any information on Kenny Battle? Uh, none really. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Four years in the league. Yeah, and the, the, only, the only way I know Kenny Battle is he was part of that that flying Illini team with uh, Nick Anderson and uh, uh, Kendall Gill. Like he 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 was he was he was part of that big core that the, the best uh, basketball team that Illinois has ever fielded, which still couldn't beat Michigan in the Final Four. But that, I'm not here to talk about that. Um, yeah. So we're I think we'll do our traditional thing where uh, the the Pistons get that 15th pick somehow, even though McCloskey had tried to get a pick in that range and failed. We'll we'll, we'll say that he you, you know did it. something crazy. And and offered up uh, Vinnie Johnson or something. I don't know. Uh, so with the fifteenth pick, and with the Pistons losing Rick Mahorn, uh, a a they're now a little bit thin in the big man um, uh, stable. So I, I think this is the perfect spot to take uh, Purvis Ellison. Yep, exactly what I was going to do. And, and Purvis Ellison, I'm so glad that I actually get a chance to talk about him. I was nervous. I wasn't. Uh, Purvis Ellison had a, had a really odd career. Uh, he, as a freshman, as a freshman at Louisville, he led Louisville to the NCAA title. He wasn't just a player on that team. He was their best player, uh, most outstanding player of the final four as a freshman. And still, I mean, if that's happening today, you're, you're leaving immediately to the NBA. There's no reason for you to stay. But in 1986, he sticks around three more seasons at Louisville. Just just sticks around, sticks around there. Uh, decides I don't need the NBA paycheck, and and maybe he looked around at his uh, like I don't want to compete with uh, David Robinson or Brad Doherty or Danny Manning. I want to be the number one pick, and he was the number one pick in this draft. But man, uh, there there was no tolerance in the NBA even back then for a. a a fully developed four-year college player that comes in and, and looks bad. There just isn't. There, at, at 22, 23 years old, you're, you're supposed to at least look like you belong on an NBA floor, even as a rookie. And he didn't. He he was so bad uh, that first season in Sacramento that they trade him immediately for a late first-round pick and a couple of seconds and a couple of role players. Like This is a guy one year removed from being taken with the number one pick on the draft. And I know there were some injury issues uh, but, but I don't think that was really it. I just think it was uh, Bill Russell. Again, I'm bringing this up. Uh, poor Bill Russell. He he has the golden opportunity to turn around the Kings with that number one pick, and he takes Ellison, and Ellison comes in and averages eight points a game, and he's injured a lot. And it's weird because he gets this nickname in college, Never Nervous Purvis, because of his demeanor. Like as you said in the beginning of this uh, of this video, he always he was always stone faced. But in Sacramento, he becomes out of service Purvis as uh, his his teammates um, started nicknaming him because he was he was always hurt. And then a lot of times when he played, he wasn't productive. But I'll tell you this. He he goes to Washington that second year. He turns it around uh, within a couple of years. He's averaging 20 points, uh, 11 rebounds a game, shooting a great percentage from the post. 
He's actually the NBA's most improved player in 1992. Like, I, I think if he if injuries don't ultimately derail him, I, I think he actually carves out a, a pretty good career for himself. If you look at his statistics outside of those two or three years in Washington, they look bad. Uh, I, I can't lie about that, but I think those a lot of those are injury-related. Now, putting him on the Pistons, especially with Rick Mahorn gone, I, I think you see those front court minutes open up. Uh, certainly, He's certainly better than William Bedford, who, who they ultimately try to use those minutes on, and it doesn't work out at all. Uh, I Look, I don't think he's going to help them repeat in 1990, but ultimately we know they don't need him to help in 1990 because they win it anyway. But in 1991, I, I I think you could see that front court post scoring, uh, be a tremendous help. It's like a third or fourth big uh, off the bench on that '91 team. Does he get them past the Bulls in '91? Of course not. But I think maybe he helps them get past the Knicks in '92, and get sets up a rematch with the Bulls. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, and I think you know. Um... To add on to that point is, you know, James Edwards and and Bill Lambeer, they're not going to be around much longer, you know, mm-hmm. and and Purvis could play center as well. Uh, there were some interesting things that you could do there. I, I I don't know. I think we've I think we I like what we've done with the between Purvis and Mario Ellie and some of the other things that we've done for the Pistons. I think we've found some real value for this team, and uh, I'm not saying that we, we're we're propelling them to uh, you know more championships or anything like that, but I think we found some real value for this team. So, all right, that is the 1989 NBA draft coming up. We've got uh, the 1990 NBA draft. Uh, draft is going to be our next one. We've got uh, uh, DC himself, Derek Coleman, Gary, Gary Payton, 3D Dennis Scott, Mahmoud is going to be in that draft. Uh, Tyrone Hill, Jason Williams, Tony Kukoc, Antonio Davis, Cedric Sabalas. There's there's a lot of a uh, lot of players here. Um, Kendall Gill, who we talked a little bit about there. Ramil Robinson, Lloyd Vaught, uh, Terry Mills, who uh, who we've done an episode on. Go check that out. Former dunk contest winner D Brown is going to be in this one. Dwayne Schnitzness, Schnitzness, Schnitzness from uh, from Eddie fame. Um, Eldon Campbell. By the way, if you haven't seen the movie Eddie, where Whoopi Goldberg coaches the New York Knicks. You gotta go see that movie. Malik Seeley is in it, and uh, a bunch of guys, a bunch of and Larry Larry Johnson plays like the bad guy in that movie. Uh, it is really really good. Um, in a in a nineteen nineties, <laughs> good, good is relative. Good it's, is relative. Yeah. It's good to me because I love basketball so much, and I would consume anything that had basketball in it. So I I I've been on the lookout for that movie on DVD for a while. Um, so yeah, that's what we've got coming up with the, uh, the 1990 draft. But as far as next week goes, uh, you know, I feel somewhat compelled to do something stupid here. So just bear with me for a moment. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, number 10 from Georgetown University. Greg Monroe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I did that, but I just wanted to do that. So, 
you know, sometimes sometimes I do weird yeah. things. Yeah, uh, Greg Monroe. <laughs> Got to hang with me. The, the moose himself. Yep, we for the very first time, uh, listeners, we are actually going to dig into the recent history of the Detroit Pistons. We are going to select a player from the 2010s. Uh, Greg Monroe, uh, I, I think in a lot of ways he epitomizes the 2010s of era of the Detroit Pistons. And I know a lot of people are going to take that as an insult, but it's not, enti- again, not entirely uh, his fault the way his career played out, uh, at, at least in Detroit. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty interested to dig into a player that most of our listeners are familiar with and uh, have a lot of experience watching. Yeah, uh, that little introduction that I did, that's, you know, Greg's can Greg's career was not an, a, as exciting as that was. <laughs> uh, I think a guy though, that's probably ahead of his time maybe, or, or maybe after his time, I don't know. I feel like he could have played in a different era that, that was, that was not this one. And we'll discuss that yep. next week when we cover Greg Monroe, I'm excited to do a, a, a more recent player. I know, uh, I know some, some, some people who are a lot uh, younger than us are looking forward to some younger guys guys like uh like greg monroe so that's what we got coming up next week until then keith uh tell the people where they can find you and what you've got going on my name is keith black trudeau i run a little twitter account uh charlotte and 28 uh it is an account very much dedicated to uh, nba history and, and all aspects devoted to it not just detroit pistons related i I, I'm mostly known for doing video clips of historically uh, relevant players. Uh, o- over the past week, I've done videos on a lot of the players we talked about in this draft. Cliff Robinson, Glenn Rice, uh, Tim Hardaway, Sean Kemp. And really, if you look at my my video timeline, you can check out all of those videos. But yeah, I, I am just someone that has, a, has always had a deep appreciation for NBA history and any question or comment you have uh, about the show or about NBA history in general, uh, feel free to ask. Uh, I'm, I'm generally active uh, most days. Yeah. You know, I tell people all the time, you got to You got to check this out. I, I, I follow Keith, obviously, you know, cause we're, we're friends and podcast partners, <laughs> but, but originally I followed him because I saw all the videos he was putting out and I am a glutton for NBA action. Um, I love this game. Uh, so, you know, um, so yeah, I was really, really uh, excited to, to follow him for that. So you need to do that as well. And uh, you could find me on Twitter at POD underscore Peyton lion seasons underway, obviously, you know, did get that win against the Eagles on Sunday. It was a fun game though, despite that uh, and, and some improvement. So uh, check us out at pride of Detroit. Uh, I've got stuff going up almost every day there uh, during the football season, uh, putting a lot of work in this year. Going to get you guys all the coverage that you can, you could possibly hope for. And then follow us on Twitter at bad boys beyond that's bad boys beyond no. And in that one, just bad boys beyond follow us on Twitter, send us your Greg Monroe questions. We'd love to answer them on the show. Um, and then rate review, uh, subscribe on Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts at stitcher uh we're everywhere um if you turn around right now we're standing behind you because that's we're everywhere our podcast is everywhere you could find it so come follow us 
and uh and and again give us some tips you know some constructive criticism we'd love to hear from you guys until then we'll see you next week with greg monroe and have a good one